So today we're going to look at the gospel. We're going to see, on some levels, will function as a survey of the book of Romans. We will look ahead a little bit, but there is much more to dig in as we get to those passages. We're going to look at four main ideas. We're going to start with Paul laying out the fall of man and how broken we are. We're going to go to this idea of redemption. And then we're going to look at our relationship to sin and finally our new life in the Spirit. And those things make up this message that is so important to Paul that he can't wait to get there and tell these believers who already know Jesus even more so that they might be stirred to deep and profound faith, that it would take more root in their lives, that it would overtake even more their mind, their heart, their body, their life, their will, their future, and on and on. That is Paul's desire. So let's start, and I'm going to give you a little, like a preface. This doesn't count as one of the four. I'm going to give you a preface to the gospel that I think is really important. Paul shares this in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So it's important to understand that when Paul's telling us about the gospel, he's taking not just a new idea like, oh, Jesus showed up on the scene, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, but he's actually tying it to God's entire story. He's bringing us out of this story of God with Israel that God's been working throughout all of human history, and he's showing how Jesus is the culmination of God's effort to bring redemption to this world, and he's going to show us that The Old Testament points to Jesus and everything that he's doing is to point us to Jesus because Jesus is ultimately what transforms us. Now there's lots of prophecies that he's referencing. Uh, Ezekiel gives a prophecy about the Messiah and the new covenant. Isaiah gives many prophecies about uh, the Messiah and the new covenant. I want to show you Jeremiah's prophecy about this new relationship that God wants to have with us. This is Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. God will often use marriage as a picture of the relationship that he had, has with his people. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. When Paul thinks about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that's what that word gospel means. It's it's a Greek word, euangelizo, that just means good news. It's the kind of word that was you know, common vernacular, your favorite Greek marathoner would win and you would say, you Engelizzo, my guy won, or you're an Astros fan if they exist, and you would say, you Engelizzo, we won the World Series. Um, that idea is just good news. There's an announcement, good news. But as Jesus' message started to take over and grow, it got to the point where the word euangelizo was so connected to the person of Jesus that all they had to say was the gospel and everybody knew what they were talking about. And Paul's bringing it in from the story of ancient and he's pointing us forward to what God's going to do. And he's saying, this is the gospel. He's going to take away our sin. 
He's going to write his law on our hearts. And you might think, well, what does that even mean? God's going to have his very relationship with us embedded in us, not just tablets of stone, not just Ten Commandments that if we follow the right rules, we get to God, but actually a relationship with us that's based on the heart, the person, the soul, the very who we are is going to connect to God. And he's saying, that's what I have for you. And Paul's pointing back to that and he's saying, that is the gospel that we have in Jesus. So now let's dig in. Paul starts to talk about our brokenness. That's where he goes starting next week in chapter 1, verse 18. And he doesn't stop talking about our brokenness until chapter 3, verse 9. Like that's how far this goes. And I've told you this before, and I'll tell you again next week, and I'm going to say it today because I think it's a great picture. The Dutch painter Rembrandt was a follower of Jesus and loved to portray scenes from the scriptures in his painting. And he had a, a particular strategy as to how he would paint. He would start with a blank canvas, and he would paint the entire thing black. And there was a bit of a prophetic element to that, that he would start with the, the fallenness of humanity. There is a, a blackness to the canvas of humanity in that our sin has overtaken us. It's dark. And then he would start with a single pinprick of light in the center of the painting, and he would bring to life the gospel message through scenes of the scriptures on these now very famous paintings. But that picture is exactly what Paul is doing starting in next week's passage. He's going to show us just how broken we really are, how far we have fallen. Why is that so important? For countless generations, people have been afraid of the church, afraid to come in. They could never accept somebody like me. I've done too much stuff. I've messed up in too many ways. I'm so broken. I'm so wicked. I'm so different that that place would never, would never want me. And that, that picture of, of humanity distancing themselves from God is one that's been around. It's not new. It's been around for thousands of years. People distancing themselves from God. He's holy. I'm not. I don't belong there. And Paul starts off this gospel message by saying, you know what, you're right. You're right, you don't belong here. Not one of you belongs here. I don't belong here. Not one of us belongs here. That's how broken we actually are. Not one person belongs in the presence of God. Not even one. In fact, Paul will quote from the book of Psalms in Romans 3, 9, and 10 and say that very thing. There is none righteous, not even one. There's not one person that belongs in the presence of God that can stand before God and say, I did it. I did it. I kept the law. I followed it perfectly. My heart's right. My head's right. My soul's right. My body's right. I'm good to go. I belong in your presence. He's like, not even one. Not even one. And he goes so far as to say that all fall short of the glory of God. So why is that part of the good news? Well, it's because to the person that says, I don't belong, I don't live up to God's righteous expectations, the answer is confidently, yeah, you, you, you're right. You don't belong. But the gospel's not, can you get to God? 
That's not the message of the scriptures. Can you do enough? There are entire religions built on you doing enough to accomplish what it takes to get to eternity, enlightenment, God, uh, inner realization. They're built on can you accomplish step X, X, and Y in order to get to where you're supposed to be? And the good news of Jesus is that no, we don't even have a shot. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul will say in Romans 8 that anyone in the flesh cannot please God. It is impossible. You bring nothing to the table, and that's good news. Now, let me tell you why that's good news. I I shared Romans 3.23 with you. I would love to preach the entirety of Romans 3 right now. I'm not going to do it, but I do want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. Because in Romans 3.23, this is possibly, if you've grown up around the church, a, a passage that you've heard countless times. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's, it's a verse that we memorize, but so often we just take that verse and use it to describe our fallen state. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why it's important to open your Bibles from time to time. is because you look at what happens after that. There's a comma. Stephanie, what does a comma do? I don't want to put you on the spot because it's a hard question to answer. But it means there's more. That's what it means. There's more. I'm, I'm not done yet. There's an idea. Stephanie's an English teacher. So he says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, right away, no period, no capital letter, just comma, and are justified by his grace as a gift. This is where the good news starts to take shape. And this is our second point, is the idea of justification. There are some huge words in Christianity, and we're not going to go in depth in all of them. Justification, redemption, propitiation, reconciliation, all of them are mentioned in Romans 3, 4, and 5. And these chapters are dedicated to you understanding what is true about your status before God. That's what justification deals with. It deals with our status before God. It says, you were not righteous, and God, who is, justified you, declared you righteous through Jesus Christ. So when you think about your status before God and that you don't belong, and the answer being you don't belong, and your status before God apart from God is that you are unholy, unrighteous, unqualified. You don't belong in God's presence. And then God says, okay, but there's a gift that I want to give you. That language is used often. A gift. It's why we give gifts at Christmas. And I'm being serious about that. The act of giving somebody something is part of our gospel. It's how we live out the gospel in this strange, lavish way of, I want you to understand what it means to receive a gift. No strings attached. I just want to bless you. I just want you to know grace and generosity. I just want you to know joy. I want you to have something, but you did nothing for it. You did nothing for it. You couldn't. It's a gift. So now let's talk about what that gift is. The gift is described as justification, and it has to do with our status, and it's God declaring us righteous. See, that's more than God just letting us into heaven. Salvation is not about just being let into heaven because that's not good enough. 
That's a really important distinction here. We want a God who is just. We want him to have wrath towards sin. We want God to be angry when there's unrighteousness. And if you are curious about what I'm saying, let's use a a, a human example for this. A few years back, Bernie Madoff stole a bunch of money from people who had worked very hard for that money. They had built up pensions And Bernie was at the head of an organization that was responsible for investing those pensions so that people could have retirement. And over the course of however many years, he was taking all of that money for himself and leaving these people who had worked in mines or banks or schools or wherever, and he took their money and kept it for himself. And the entire world was looking at this person and was like, that's not okay. You can't do that. People worked their whole lives to put that money in a pension, and you took it. Now, I want you to imagine what would have happened. The trial was a spectacle. People watched this thing. The trial was an absolute mess. And and if the judge had come to the conclusion, after the jury says guilty, the judge says, you're guilty, Bernie, of everything that they said you did. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you go. You can keep your house, you can keep your island, you can keep the cars, you can keep the money. Just know that you're guilty. We just, we just want you to make sure you know you're guilty, but you can keep everything and go on with your life. Trial's over, we're done. If that had happened, the world would have melted into a pile of molten lava. People would have been so angry at the injustice of a judge releasing Bernie out into the world with everybody's money that he stole. It's just that the injustice would mount. We want justice in this world. We want things to be made right. We don't want injustice to be shrugged at. But then when it comes to us, we want a little bit of grace. Like we, we would just, we would like God to be a little bit merciful towards us because hard justice is really hard. So we want somewhere, we want it to apply differently to us. So God's got this problem. It was a real problem. It was a philosophical conundrum. How do you be both just and justifier? How can you be just and still declare somebody righteous even though they did nothing to earn it? And Romans 3 tells us that the answer is Jesus being put forth as a propitiation. Now, there's a lot of big theological words, and this would be the one to know. That's an exaggeration. They're all important to know. This is one to make sure that you understand. Because here's what it means. It means that God actively unleashed his wrath on your sin. That's what propitiation means, but Jesus was put forth as a propitiation, as a recipient of all the wrath that God had towards your sin, Jesus offered himself up and received that wrath in your place. The implications of that are massive. A lot of Christians right now will live with shame, shame for what they've done. I live, you know, with this constant guilt I feel like God's disgusted with me. I feel like God doesn't like me. God doesn't want the best for me. I feel like God actually, I'm, so I'm a Christian, but God is keeping himself from me because of who I am and what I've done. To say those things is to disbelieve the gospel that says that God had poured out all of his wrath on Jesus and not on you. 
It's to say that Jesus was not enough. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that he was put forth as a propitiation and it was so effective. Jesus taking your sin was so effective that Paul can write 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Your new status is righteous before God. So when he sees you, it's not like you, he, he's all-knowing. He knows what you've done. He's seen you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. I know this is the most terrifying part of every sermon. He knows everything about you. And because of his wrath being poured out on Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, he says, you are now righteous. Not almost righteous, not maybe if you live a good enough life, you'll get there righteous. You are righteous. That's how God sees you. So today, today, I'll say, God forbid you were to walk out this door and it were all to come to a close, right? I don't know. I don't want to paint a picture of how you die, but something happens and you die when you walk out of here today. If you are a follower of Jesus, instantly you're in the presence of God and instantly you belong there because he's righteous and he gave it to you. And when God looks at you, that's what he sees. He sees Jesus standing in your form. His righteousness is yours and your sin is his. It's the great exchange and it's the greatest news. It's the greatest news and it is the gospel. And Paul wants us to know it and live it because so often, even if you give your life to Jesus, so often we just go through life and we're like, oh, but God's really grossed out by me. God wants nothing to do with me. You're wrong. You're flat wrong. That's not how God views you at all, according to his word. When he sees you, he sees the beauty of Jesus Christ on full display. And he says, come, son, daughter, be with me. This is our redemption. This is our salvation. And it's important for believer for you to apply this to your life. Sometimes we can accept it once and then three years go by and five years go by and 10 years go by and I don't know, like plaque on our teeth. We just sort of like there's buildup and our, our soul gets funky and we just start to think of all the stuff that we keep doing and we think surely God cannot love me after all I've done. Surely God must look at me with disgust. And that's not the gospel. So then, Paul takes Romans 6 and 7 to talk about our relationship to sin. Because he, he preaches the gospel so hard in Romans 3, 4, and 5, so hard that he has to ask the question in Romans 6, 1, so do we keep on sinning so that we can get more grace? Is that the system? If we want to be lavished with grace and the bigger the sinner, the more the forgiveness, I don't know, maybe we just do a lot of sin so that we can get all the forgiveness. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. That's the, the Greek. No, 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 no. He says, by no means. But then he goes on to talk about our relationship to sin. And he actually uses the concept of slavery 
as one picture, and then he uses the concept of marriage as another picture, and those were not designed to be uh, uh, equated, but just trying to help people picture things a little differently. So he starts with slavery, and he says, okay, here's how it works. If you're a slave and you die, you're not, you're not a slave to that master anymore. You're released from that, right? And then he goes on and talks about marriage. He's like, if you're married and your spouse dies, you're, you're released from that marriage. Like, you're not still bound to that. And so he actually starts to talk about it. He says, something happened when Jesus died. When we put our faith in Jesus, we die. This is why you get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized because there's there's something about the physical act that the scriptures correlate to our spiritual condition. It's not that you have to be baptized to be saved, but it's that your baptism declares publicly this reality that I died. When you go down in the water, Paul talks about in Romans 6 that we are being buried with Jesus. That is a morbid picture. But there's a reason that we bring you up out of the water. It's because you don't stay dead. You're raised to walk in the newness of life. And in that new life, you're released from your bondage to sin. You are no longer slaves to sin. Before, Paul will expand on this a little bit, and I'll say your identity was all you could choose was sin, and you had no choice. You're like, well, I did some good things, and it's like, oh, you did some good things, but they were sin because they they weren't with Christ at the center. So maybe you baked some cookies for your neighbor, or, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, it was always helping old ladies cross the street. For whatever reason, that was the righteous act in the 90s that everybody wanted to do, help an old lady cross the street. And maybe you do those kinds of things, But the Bible calls those activities apart from the life of God filthy rags. They're not not good deeds. They're just, it's a sinner trying to operate in a sinful world by doing some things that seem good, but it's all dark because apart from God, you couldn't do anything righteous. It's just the reality of our sinful state. So Paul says the glorious good news of the gospel is that when Jesus died, we died too. Paul will say it personally in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But it's so important for Paul to understand our relationship to sin. He wants to make sure that we know that the gospel, it's not just about eternity, but here and now, something's supposed to change. That bondage to sin that you were in before, if you keep walking with the mentality that I'm still bound to my sin, I'm addicted to it, I'm hung up on it, I can't get free from it, it will never leave. If that's your mentality, then that's not the gospel. You need to understand that. Something at a spiritual level has broken in your bondage to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that all sin goes away. That doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that suddenly you're walking as this holy saint on earth that will never sin again. But the person that you are has been uncoupled from your sinful identity. And something now happens, and you can choose to live a righteous life. You could not choose that before, but you can choose that today. And the way, the way to choose a righteous life is Romans 8. Romans 8 is so good. 
If you were to memorize anything, and I know I've told you some other passages with that same phrase, but just there's more. If you could memorize anything, Romans 8 would be so good for you to devote a a, a month, a year to just soaking in this because it starts off in this place. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. It's gone. No condemnation. So that identity piece is settled. There's no condemnation left for you, but something happened in you. You now have purpose and life here. He says this. He says the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now gives life to your mortal body. That heart that's beating, that skin that's still functioning, that brain that's still thinking, you have spiritual life. Because the Spirit of God rests in you and is animating you to do something good in the world. You now contribute something beautiful to the world because the Spirit of God is in you. You are totally transformed and you have something to give. Today, for the rest of your mortal life, you have something to offer because God is in you. And God wants to come out of you and bless and build up and fill and heal and encourage and teach and admonish and love and bless those around you. That's your new life. You're full of purpose, a reason to be here. You have it. the good news of Jesus Christ. It's supposed to wreck you and change you and transform you and build you up all at the same time. Paul will go on to talk Romans 9, 10, and 11. He'll talk about Israel quite a bit, but one of the things that he says in there, he says, he, talking about God, is the potter. What are we? Or the clay. Everybody ever ever gone color me mine before? You ever done the whole thing? You know, just kind of get you take on your your inner Patrick Swayze and go a little. Um, God is forever molding you, shaping you, building you up as this vessel filling you with his spirit to carry the presence of Jesus into this world. It's what you're made for. This week I got to walk with a guy that, that shared his dad overdosed from uh, some drug use about a year ago and he had had suicidal thoughts when he was 13 and he's an adult now, married, has a kid and he he shared that um, in the year since his dad died that, that this has all been coming, all of these suicidal thoughts have been coming back. And that he just, he thought he had moved past it. He thought he had gotten to where there was some victory and, and now he's just, he was feeling the defeat of feeling these feelings as a believer but being overwhelmed by them. And I was in a group of guys that, that were listening to this and we took time and ministered to him and prayed for him. But the prayers that were being prayed, it wasn't a, you got this, man. Hey, people love you. Your kid needs you. Your wife needs you. 
people are praying the gospel of Jesus Christ over this man. Do you know who you are? Do you know what God has said about you? Do you know what he does to give you the strength to live through today and tomorrow and the next day and the next? Scriptures were being prayed over him. Life was being prayed over him. And victory and courage were being prayed over this man. And we watched as his countenance changed, seeing the gospel take root. It's by way of reminder. This guy is faithful and loves Jesus and found himself in a moment of absolute identity crisis, wondering, am I my dad? Am I on the same path? Do I have the same destiny? And the prayer was, you are a son of God. I share this because I want you to hear the gospel isn't just this abstract concept that exists for the people that need to go and hear a message of salvation. Many of you gave your lives to Jesus and have found yourself a few miles down the road of walking with Jesus and all of a sudden your, your world is just taken out from under you. Your identity is just, just like your feet just got washed away like a powerful wave of the undertow took you out sucking you back in and you need to hear that the gospel of Jesus says to you you belong in God's presence, not because of what you do, but because of the person Jesus and what he accomplished. And then he says, this is my gift to you. You receive it by faith. So here's how Paul finishes this message. He says the, um, that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's from Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. So let's talk about this for just a minute. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith. And what that means is when you come to faith in Jesus, you come face to face with the righteousness of God. You get to experience it fully and completely. It's God's righteousness that saves you. That's why Paul will go into such great detail to say, how can he be just and justifier? Let's look at his, his righteousness. He poured out his wrath on himself and took it on so that he could be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith. So you, you, you get to see God on display when you come to faith in Jesus. But it's revealed for a purpose, for faith. You are here, brother and sister, for the faith of God to grow in you, to take steady ground of greater and greater occupation of who you are. That every day of your life is you walking in this story of that faith growing. And it's not simply about belief, though belief is a part of our faith. This faith that's growing is the faith to walk in the things of God. Look at Peter as, a, as an example. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm in. 
three years later, Lord, if that's you, call out to me because I want to walk to you. Who thinks, hey, maybe Jesus will make it so I can walk on water except a person whose faith has grown been stirred and stoked and challenged and tested and ground to a pulp and built back up and commissioned. It's a person that has walked with Jesus and their faith has grown. The gospel takes root. If you find yourself, and I'll just say this and then I'll be done, if you find yourself in a static place in your faith, just kind of, I don't know, spinning your wheels a little bit. There is a greater adventure of faith that awaits you than you could ever possibly know. You want to know how to tap into it? I got suggestions for days. I'll just tell you a couple of them. One of them is to start with the scriptures, and I would say start with Romans 8. Find your purpose. Why are you here? Because the Spirit of God is in you. So start with Romans 8. Number two, in prayer, if you have a journal, write it in your journal. If you don't, write it just on some piece of paper and call it your journal. Just ask some of that, that question, God, why do you have me here? What do you have for me? And then the third thing, if you want to get your faith going, I think, by the way, if you ask God, why do you have me here? I think he'll answer it. He loves to answer that question. And the third one is find the oldest, raddest follower of Jesus that you can think of. Com combine those two, old and rad. Like epic. Find, I don't know, what's your word? Find your great, godly person of faith that's old. Pick your word. Find the old person that you know that loves Jesus more than anybody else that you know. And go and ask him for the secret sauce. Just ask him, like, what drives you? Why do you have so much joy? What builds you up? When you've hit the, 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 the gritty times of life, what brought you out of that? What did you do when there was tragedy? How did you feel when somebody betrayed you? Who's an enemy that you've loved? What's your prayer life like? Do you ask anybody these questions? Come up with your own, but ask that older person what faith looks like. I, I think it's going to stoke your fire to follow Jesus. Those are just a couple of my, I've got more, but those are just a couple of them. You want one, one more? Okay. Uh, <laughs> this, we did this over COVID, and this is one's just pure option, just pure fun. Um, you drive out to Mojave and then go a little bit further. Uh, we did this during lockdown. We didn't tell anybody because we broke some rules. Um, go out past Mojave, go out to the desert. There's a couple of dirt roads that just kind of shoot off, like after Dove Springs, OHV area, kind of in that zone, and you're allowed to just drive off. It's, it's a Bureau of Land Management land. You can just drive up these roads. You belong there. It's okay. The Lord says it's okay. You can drive there, and you just drive up and don't go too far in if you don't have an off-road vehicle because you'll get stuck. Just drive up a little ways and then turn off your car and turn off the lights and wait for the sun to go down and stare up at the big sky and ask the question, Lord, who am I? 
that you would know me out of all this, that you see me, that you know me, that you want me to be a part of your story. Guys, you're never the same after you do that. I'm telling you, it just, talk about being wrecked. It just changes your whole world to just stop for a minute and speak the scriptures out to God in a moment of great, powerful, big beauty. That's just, that's a freebie. Yeah, you don't, there's no scriptural mandate to go to Mojave. Trust me, but it's worth it. My hope for you is that there's something stirring in you to let the gospel take deeper, saturated root in your life. The band's going to come up here and we're going to respond in a few ways. Uh, The first is that we're going to sing. And our tendency when we sing is to not necessarily be gospel-minded when we sing. I don't know if it's religion that makes us sing. I don't know if it's, you know, just like the habit. That's what I mean when I say religion. The habit of showing up and whatever songs go on the screen, that's what's going to come out of our mouth. But I want us to be people who sing because God has redeemed you and reconciled you and made you whole. That God's taken you you wretched, awful person. (laughs) Which I hope you would say the same thing back to me. He's brought you to life. And so when we sing, it's like that put to song. Now some tips about singing. You can sing the words that are on the screen and that's part of the joy of all of our voices coming together. You're also allowed to sing in the Spirit. Whatever comes to your mind, whatever's in your heart, as you're singing in the Spirit, you pray these words and just, you can use their melody and just sing the prayer that God is laying on your heart, the song that God is laying on your heart. It doesn't even have to be in English. It doesn't even have to be real words. You can let the Spirit of God worship in you today. Do you know this? You're you're free to do this. You have the Spirit of God in you. And if He stokes a worship in you, you get to give that back to him. If you want to be on your knees, if you want to lift your hands, if you want to be on your face, if you want to jump and bounce and dance, you are free to worship Jesus in the spirit. Our prayer team will minister to you this afternoon. They would love, they would love to just pray the gospel over you. We got a chance to do that in the first service, just praying the gospel over people that were looking for what God is going to do in their lives. It's a joy. We take communion, I hope, as you come before the communion table and you're taking the, the body and blood of Jesus, this picture that was given to us by Jesus, that there's this sudden realization of like, oh, I am not good enough for Jesus. And then he can look at you and say, that's why I gave up my body and that's why I poured out my blood so that you would be united to me. Guys, this is what we do to worship and respond when the gospel is preached and I hope you heard the gospel today. So let's stand up and respond to Jesus.